going to jump right in this morning into our gospel reading, Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 38. Um, and I would strongly encourage you to follow along. So maybe you brought your Bible, you can use that. Or um, if not, we've got some uh, red Bibles in the pews right in front of you. And the reading is on 715, um, if you're looking for it in the, in the pew Bibles. It's Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 38. Now, we are about, in this passage, right in the middle of a um, a roughly three-chapter segment of Mark's gospel that is causing us to focus squarely on the death of Jesus and the call to discipleship. This section, uh, verse, roughly chapters 8 through 10, is highlighted by three predictions of Jesus' passion and also three significant teachings on discipleship. And in between that, we have a few stories and a few illustrations and a few sayings like we have in our reading this morning. And all of these must be seen in light of our call as disciples to follow Jesus on the way of the cross. And so it generally um, goes like this. Jesus will predict his death. He'll say the Messiah must suffer and die. Um, he also says the Messiah must be raised from the dead, but the disciples um, usually aren't listening to that part. Um, they only hear the first two parts. And then he gives them a teaching on discipleship. Take up your cross and follow me, he might say. The first must be last and the last may be first, he said, just immediately prior to this passage. And so we have passion prediction, what it means to be a disciple, and then a story or an illustration or a saying um, that must be seen in that light. And that's what we have today. Jesus has just had his second passion prediction, his second teaching. The first must be last, the last must be first. And he goes on to say, um, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me, and then we have this exchange between Jesus and his disciples. And what Jesus is trying to do in this exchange, the way I read it, is he is trying to show his disciples what a cross-bearing community looks like. Certainly these aren't all the characteristics of a community that's picking up their own crosses and following Jesus, but but certainly there are a few, and these are important ones. What does it mean to be a cross-bearing community? A group of people that is bearing our own crosses, following Jesus, carrying his. We're going to see three things about that. A cross-bearing community welcomes the gospel ministry of others. A cross-bearing community recognizes clearly its own sinfulness, and a cross-bearing community focuses solely on Christ's mission for the church. So, let us dive into these. Like I said, Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 38. The disciples have heard a call um, to service, and and for some reason, um, they respond with a a question. Not a question, but a, um, a story telling Jesus about what they've done. Um, we're not sure why they did this. Are they trying to change um, the subject? Maybe Jesus said something that made them remember this, um, this story. But whatever it is, they are showing Jesus. They want to say, I think probably it's more like this. Um, you're calling us to serve others. Hey, let us show you. Let us tell you 
what we've done to serve you, Jesus. And so in verse 38, we have this account of the disciples um, running into somebody else, doing ministry in Jesus' name. Verse 38. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. They found a person who's not part of their circle, who's not part of the in crowd, who's not one of um, the disciples. He's not even someone who's following um, the disciples. And so if you imagine the circle around Jesus growing ever wider, this person would certainly be way on the outside. And he was doing ministry in Jesus' name. He was casting out demons. And it was working. In the name of Jesus, be gone. And these demons were leaving. And the disciples look at him and they say, wow. He's, he's not one of us. He's not in our inner circle. He's not a close follower of Jesus. He's a, he's a new guy. And he's casting out in G- demons in Jesus' name. That, that, that can't happen. And so they ask him to stop. Why would they do this? They feel threatened that someone was encroaching on their ministry? Um, do they feel like their special status as followers of Jesus was being undermined? Certainly they were a bit jealous. If you were to um, turn back just a few uh, verses, just 20 verses earlier, verses 18 and 19, you would see that um, Jesus came up on his disciples and a, man, a, a boy with an unclean spirit Um, And the the boy's father said to Jesus, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. And they were not able. They couldn't do it. The twelve, the followers of Jesus. They failed, and here's this other outsider succeeding. So certainly, this, he, he's, something's wrong with him. He must stop. And so they re- recount this story to Jesus. And Jesus responds, verse 39, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. The disciples weren't welcoming the ministry of somebody else. He wasn't part of them, and so certainly he he must stop. He was encroaching on their territory, and Jesus says, no, by no means. There's three reasons even that you shouldn't do this. First of all, he's very obviously on our team. He can't cast out demons in my name and then a day later speak evil of me. The fact that this is working bears witness to his faith. He's on our team. Secondly, if you look at this world, you realize that there are people who are for Jesus or against Jesus. There there is no middle ground. If you're not for him, you're against him. But if you're not against him, 
you're for him. And he says, anyone who's not against us is for us. See, he, he's on our side. He's doing ministry in my name. Don't exclude him, but include him and be thankful for the work he's doing. And then thirdly, um, even the least, um, most common of acts that are faithful to God have a reward and have value in the kingdom of God. Look at that last verse there. Truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Look, this guy is doing great things for the kingdom, and then there are folks um, that are doing little things for the kingdom. What's the first question? Okay, if somebody comes to visit you in your home, what is the first thing you ask them? Do you want something to drink? Would you like a drink of water? It's hospitality. It's kind. And, and if it's so common for us today, imagine back then when it was hot and dry and people maybe have traveled many miles on foot to come to your house. That, that's just what you do. You offer a glass of water. You're not thinking about rewards. You're not thinking about glory and greatness. And Jesus is saying, even when you do a little thing like this for my sake, your reward in the kingdom will be great. Even a sip of water, because somebody belongs to Jesus, indicates great faithfulness in the kingdom. And so these are important things to remember. We, we, we have to recognize and welcome and be excited about even the ministry of others. And this has big applications for us and little applications. Perhaps one is simply to consider um, we don't know the faithfulness of somebody's heart. And so if we're looking at what somebody is doing and judging how great of a Christian or lack of a Christian they are, friends, that's dangerous territory. That is dangerous territory. And we're going to see there's one um, common denominator among Christians, and that's uh, realizing that we're all pretty sinful people. But how about an even bigger application? What if, um, what if somebody's doing ministry on our turf? What if they're encroaching on us? You know, what if, what if there's a church in Somerville that's getting, you know, hundreds of people for Christ? Does that make us jealous? Can we cheer that ministry on? Can we be excited about that? A cross-bearing community doesn't look at a, um, another style of worship or a, um, another denomination or another church and say, look, they're encroaching on our territory and they're not even doing it the right way. <laughs> Are they doing ministry in the name of Jesus Christ? Are they bringing the gospel into the lives of people who aren't hearing it, who've never had it? And if that's happening, let us rejoice. They might even be doing it better than us. But that's okay. Because the gospel goes before us. If we're going to be a cross-bearing community, we need to lay down what we think we're entitled to, what territory we think is ours, what ministry belongs to us. We can certainly have preferences and be excited about these things. But if somebody out there is winning over somebody for the gospel, let us rejoice with them. Because that is great news. A cross-bearing community welcomes the ministry of others for the sake of the gospel. Second thing about a cross-bearing community. A cross-bearing community recognizes their own sinfulness. 
Now, there, there's two things at play here in this passage. One, Jesus wants us to, to think through our actions and our behaviors, especially our sinful behaviors, but even maybe um, things that aren't necessarily sinful, but to think through them in light of how they are affecting others. That's the first one. And then the second one is to think through our sinful behavior in light of how it's going to affect us. And so we'll read on to verses 42 and 43. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Okay. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. Well, what's going on here? He's talking about little ones. And in the context of this passage and the, the context of what we've just read, Jesus has in his mind um, those who are new to the faith. So this new fellow doing um, ministry that we have never um, met before, these um, young folks who, who simply want to do something to serve God, but the only thing they know to do is to offer a drink of water, and it's something that God values um, very much. Folks who maybe are, are less mature in their faith, um, they are the little ones that Jesus loves and cherishes so much. Heaven forbid one of us causes them to sin. It would be better for you to get thrown into the ocean with a millstone around your neck than to face the consequences of that. That's heavy. And we need to be aware of this because Jesus has great concern for those who are just starting to know him and just starting to love him. And so we, we should be aware of our behaviors and aware of, of, of what we're doing and our, our, our sinfulness. Our, is, is our own sin causing others to sin with us? That's a problem. Maybe, actually, there's things that we're doing that aren't necessarily sinful. But maybe those are actually leading others to sin as well. I'll give you two examples. Um, if you have a friend who is an alcoholic... And it's not drinking anymore. He's sober, or she's sober. And, and you invite them over um, for, for dinner. If you are drinking a glass of alcohol in front of them and tempting them to sin, or perhaps leading them or creating that desire in them to sin, that's on you. That's on you. Or how, there's this one. You know, perhaps you have a, um, a spouse who really who doesn't believe in Jesus. This is, I've seen this frequently. A spouse who doesn't believe in Jesus, but you love the Lord. And you are doing all sorts of great things for the Lord. And, and you're at three or four Bible studies, and you're volunteering at the church, and you're helping on Sunday mornings. And, and, and really, you know, five out of seven nights of the week, you're at church. These are all good things. But what if your spouse is at home and they're more and more bitter at the church because the church is taking away their husband or their wife. We've got to think about these things. And they're heavy, and they weigh heavy on us. But Jesus, he's very clear. How are we leading others astray? Now, at the end of the day, 
they're responsible for decisions they make. I mean, they've got some things to get right with God by, by all means. But how can you be a witness to the gospel? How can you be a cross-bearing community? So that's the first aspect of this. And now here's um, the second. There is a horrendous danger in being caught in the grip of sin. A horrendous danger. Um, you know, we're Anglicans. We're not used to, we don't really like a good old-fashioned hellfire and brimstone sermon. I actually don't think people who get hellfire and brimstone sermons every week like to hear them necessarily. It's not pleasant. We want Jesus, right? He loves us. He died for us. He, he, he loves us even to the point of um, giving himself up for us, and he welcomes us, and he cherishes us, and he nourishes us. But don't give me the hellfire and brimstone. Here's the problem. The Jesus we want was a hellfire and brimstone preacher. Okay, did, did you hear this passage that we read this morning? If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Friends, slavery to sin has eternal and disastrous consequences. And I don't say this, and Jesus doesn't say this to like whip you into shape. He, he wants you to know the path you're headed on. The path that this world is headed on. Nobody, nobody's trying to scare you into believing in Jesus. But take a long, hard look at where you stand. It is far, far better to be maimed, to be crippled, to be pained in this world than to let these things keep you from the one that is to come. What is contributing to your sin? Is it your computer? Is it your bank account? Is it your ambitions? We've got to take drastic steps to eliminate the sin that is caused by these things. If it's your computer, by all means, find someone to hold you accountable to what you're doing and what you're looking at. If it's your bank account, by all means, start giving your money away. If it's your ambitions, please go and, and serve someone sacrificially whose only ambition is to find their next meal. 
Jesus, he uses this hyperbole, but, but he's, he's deadly serious. Stop at nothing. Stop at nothing. Stop at nothing to eradicate the sin from your life. Of course, the more you do that, the more you realize how impossible that is, right? Maybe you've got, I don't know, think off the top of your head. Maybe there's, there's four things. You can say, you know, these four things are really separating me from God. I, I get it. I, I see what you're saying, Tyler. And um, there's nothing to keep you from taking care of those four things, frankly. You could buy a couple of good self-help books that would help you, um, you know, turn your focus in the right direction. And I'm pretty sure that those four things that you have listed within a year, you could create some new and better habits. And you could be a better person, perhaps. But I promise you... The second you get rid of number four, you will find ten more. And the second you get, of those, get rid of those ten, you'll find twenty more. And it will not stop. Because the issue of sin, it's not a problem with our hands, or our feet, or our eyes, or our computer, or our bank accounts. It's not a problem with our ambitions. It's a problem with our hearts, right? Our hearts will always find the next and greatest and best sin if we, um, if we leave them up to their own devices. We need new hearts. In fact, we need someone else's heart. We need the heart of one who hasn't sinned. The heart of one who is holy. The heart of one who would die and three days later be raised from the dead. We need the heart of a Savior who is willing to have his own heart to follow the advice he's giving us on himself for our sake so that we would have new life. That, that's the only way to take care of the sin problem. That's the only way. And, and it doesn't go away. I mean, you're, you're going to be justified in the grace of Jesus Christ and you're going to go on doing the same things you've always been doing. But you're going to stand under the love of Jesus. And these things are going to slowly, daily fall away. That's what it's like to be a cross-shaped community. One that is constantly denying what we really want to do. Constantly denying the things that we really think will make us happy to follow the cross of Jesus Christ. And then and only then will we know the mercy that leads to eternal life. Cross-bearing community is aware of its own sin. And finally, and very quickly, a, a cross-bearing community is focused on the mission of Jesus Christ. Um, let's read. This. These last verses are a little strange. Verse 49. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves. And be at peace with one another. And so Jesus latches onto this image of salt. And um, we can't, I can't really get into all of this. This is, this is complex, and salt does lots of things. But, but a couple of things to highlight. Verse 49 Everyone will be salted with fire. In the Old Testament, many burnt offerings were, were called to be salted as well. And so you would, um, you would salt the offering, and then you would um, burn it as an offering to God. And you, you get the impression um, that Jesus is saying, you know, followers of me 
will be salted like that. You will be laid down as a sacrifice for Jesus Christ, bearing your own cross. You will be salted in that way as you offer yourself up to Jesus. So you will be a sacrifice for Jesus. Um, and then he start, starts to switch um, metaphors. And he talks about salt being good. And you, like in Matthew's gospel, he says, you, um, you're salt and light, the salt of the earth. And in this instance, salt is used um, for preserving and, and flavoring. And so Christians who have been salted sacrifices are called then to be salt and light in this world. That's the mission of Jesus, that we would go out and we would season this world, that we as a cross-bearing community would share the love of Christ through our actions and our deeds. We would be salt and light of the gospel in this world. And so if we go out there and we're acting salty, if you will, <laughs> what happens if we lose our flavor or our saltiness? What if we're just seen as bitter, angry, exclusive Christians? How, how do you get your salt back? How do you get that flavor back? We've got to be rooted in the cross and rooted in mercy and rooted in love. And so when we have that seasoned salt in ourselves, Jesus says, be at peace with one another. Be at peace with fellow Christians. Be at peace with those doing ministry outside of us. Because when we're at peace with each other, the world will see a community at peace. There's not too many of those around, is there? A community that is at peace with itself. What an amazing proclamation of the gospel that would be. And so a cross-shaped community is salty. It's focused on the mission of Jesus Christ to save sinners. So that's what we're called to be, a cross-state community, one who welcomes the ministry of others, one who is radically aware of its own sin, and one who is focused on the mission of Jesus Christ. And it's my prayer that the Holy Spirit would so revive our hearts that we would receive these things, that we would repent of our sin, that we would go out and leave this church proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. Let us pray.